Follow Chicago's home for sports on Instagram at ESPN underscore Chicago. This is ESPN 1000. Welcome back. It's Xander and Hanley on ESPN 1000. So glad you're with us on this beautiful Sunday morning. 312-332-3776. Ben Pope from the Chicago Sun-Times will talk some Blackhawks with us at uh, the 11 o'clock hour. A lot to go over with the uh, yeah, great beat writer of the Sun-Times who does great reporting on the Blackhawks. And uh, this guy does the best reporting on baseball in town. He is our guy, Jesse Rogers. And I'm uh, wondering what we find Jesse doing on a Sunday morning on Labor Day weekend. Hey, Jesse. Hello, Jess. Hey, good morning, guys. Yeah, uh, thanks to one David Ross that just took a rapid COVID test. And um, hopefully it, come ba- it comes back clear because I'm actually going to sit in the stands with my daughter and her friends today at Wrigley. Um, everyone else, I guess, that was around Ross tested negative. I was around him on Thursday. He's, uh, you know, declared positive on Friday, and so I, I waited a couple of days, took the rapid test. But if you don't see me at Wrigley Field, you'll know why it's a positive. But I'm, a, the, I'm assuming it's negative. But the good news is that he is asymptomatic, right? Andy Green said, "There's, I mean, he wouldn't even know that he was sick had he not taken the test, right? I mean, that right. he, he was infected anyway because he's not sick. He's And Andy Green made it really was adamant about how much being vaccinated, you know, keeps everybody safe. And, I mean, he... He didn't go after the unvaccinated people in the clubhouse, but we know they're in there. But he basically said, yeah, if you're vaccinated, you're going to be a hell of a lot better off than if you're not vaccinated, if you do get infected. Yeah, I mean, he was basically quoting the science, you know, that we've all learned through all this um, stuff with the vaccines. So, yeah, I think uh, Hoyer and and Ross are not in any sort of trouble health wise. um, And it would probably behoove players that are unvaccinated to take it. But uh, it's it's not something that's that's mandated. We'll see if. During the offseason, the union and the league get together and say, yes, we're going to mandate it to players like other employers are. That's yet to be known. But right now, it sounds like he's fine. He's only uh, late night snacking is what Andy Green said of David Ross right now. That's that's, huh. that's what the COVID has done to him. He's, he's at home eating late night, which is not a good thing for him. I guess. And, and that just goes to show you how, uh, you know, this is really uh, transmissible and how highly contagious this is, because I'm sure David Ross and Jed, we're being very careful. Yeah, they were, and they were vaccinated, so they, they had some, yeah. you know, restrictions loosened. I, I'm a, look, uh, Hoyer and 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 David Ross meet daily, right? Certainly after every game they meet. I'm sure before the game. I'm assuming they were in the office together, and that you know one gave it to the other, right? That just, it, I'm assuming it's just not a coincidence that they both got it separately. Um, I would think one gave it to the other. And, you know, I asked Andy Green if they were worried because Ross interacts with all the players on a daily basis. I don't think Jed Hoyer necessarily does. But so far, none of the players have tested positive. So um, obviously the daily or, uh, you know, every other day testing that the league does helped out, you know, get, get Ross and Hoyer out of circulation there. And things are okay with the players um, as, as they move this thing forward. But it's still going to be, what, another week. Uh, before David Ross manages again. You know, Mark Zander said something in the last hour about how it's an audition for these guys on the Cubs team. And, you know, to their to their credit, the five-game win streak, a lot of hustle being shown. Uh, you know, they've come back. They've done it in exciting and entertaining ways. But the question is, the, we still have a question on the table about what does that mean for guys like Schwindel or Wisdom or, you know, some of these other guys uh, in big picture. I mean, whatever successes they have this year, is that enough time in this regular season to 
to show the front office, to show the coaching staff that, you know, wisdom's 30 years old, that these are legit major league players now and that you can start penciling them, penciling them in or inking them in when you start adding hopefully free agents and start try to contend again. Yeah, I mean, that's the million-dollar question, and I don't think anybody knows the answer to this uh, until they, they uh, you know, sort of get into next year and stuff, but you have to prepare for next year. My, my point being in terms of them sustaining the success, like there's just no way to know, right? Uh, we talked about this last week, Brian. Most 30-year-olds don't find their game and have great careers starting at 30, right? Right, right. But, but are they serviceable? Are they stop gaps? It, that's possible. Let's say they need to find eight position players, okay? I mean, not say we know that's what you have to find. <laughs> well, we have one in Wilson Contreras if he's still around, and Nick Madrigal. To me, those are the only two starters on this team right now. You might say Ian Hab's playing his way into it, and Jason Hayward is still there. But for all practical purposes, they have to find six position players. Let's say they start spring training with Swindell at first, Ortega in center, and Wisdom at third. That's three. Now you have to find three more. I say they go out and sign a shortstop. That's one. Um, probably go out and sign one more outfielder. That's two. And maybe give the third one to Ian Happ because Jason Hayward is not an everyday uh, guy. So what I'm saying is at the very least, you could call them stop gaps for the 2022 season. And if they somehow do sustain this thing and they are blossoming at an older age, okay, well then we'll address that at the time. But you certainly aren't signing any of them up to five-year deals. Not that you have to, it's they're, you know under team control and things like that. So, um, yeah, I, I think, Brian, that, that at the very least you could call them stopgaps, but, but not necessarily invest in them as, as your starters, as you contend in the next run, whenever that is. Um, and, 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 frankly, if, if a first baseman falls in your lap, you're certainly not going to say no to them for Frank Swindell. I just don't think you can do that when you're talking about 29, 30-year-old players. So that's kind of how I view it. They've at least played themselves into earning spots as stopgaps, um, but nothing necessarily more than that right now. Jesse, you and I talked last week about Contreras, and I was pretty surprised uh, to hear that you thought that he may be dealt. Uh, are you still feeling that way? Because, uh, you know, they are so thin. And, and you mentioned if they kept him, he's one of two that maybe really have a lock on uh, being a, uh, you know, a big asset next year. Look, by definition, when the guy gets that close to free agency, two things are likely to happen. And certainly, the, the you know, the Cubs don't want to get burned again by a guy nearly getting to free agency, and then you don't get as much from him in the trade market. So two things should happen. Either he signs up or he's traded. You're right. You don't mm-hmm. want him starting play in his final year without a contract and without any sort of uh, decision on his future. So I, I think by definition, he could be traded. And just the idea that, okay, do we invest in him, sort of big money, we're not ready to win, by the time we get ready to win, is he wearing down as a 30-year-old plus catcher, uh, you know, minus Salvi Perez, <laughs> most guys in their 30s at that position start to wear down. So I think though that's why, just by definition, you have to think, okay, he could be on the market. And I think that's the case anyway, because he's been on the market in the past. Um, different circumstance now, right? None of those stars, veterans are around, so maybe that means... Right. He's more likely to stay, but I, 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 have a, I think it's a 50-50 call that Wilson Contreras starts the season on the roster next year. And again, I think that's just common sense on one hand, and also just the idea that they, they might want to move on um, because of his age and everything else. So I, I think there's a couple factors that might point to him possibly moving on. 
On the north side, I, if you, there's any pause for cause it, it, in terms of guys you count on is Kyle Hendricks. And he said physically he's fine, although he's got 160-plus innings pitched in the bank. Says he's not fatigued, but he hasn't been the Kyle Hendricks that we've been spoiled by. And on the south side, Michael Kopech has had more than a few hiccups, or at least a, a few significant hiccups of late. Um, can you address both pitchers in terms of uh, where the well, Cubs and Sox fans should have concern or not have concern with these guys? Well, Andy Green gave a really long-winded answer about Kyle Hendricks yesterday. Basically, ended up saying he's pitching in August and September games that he's never pitched in, or at least not in a half decade or more. So he kind of blamed it on the situation. I don't know if that's right or wrong because, look, he he goes out there, he's given a 3-1 lead in the fifth inning, right? He was down one nothing, then it's 3-1, and he just yep. gives it all back. Yeah, maybe the walks are uncharacteristic of him, and that, that is a – that is a result of the situation. But, yeah, I, I think Kyle Hendricks is, is kind of what he is. He's not a number one, right? I mean, he's, I think he's a middle-rotation pitcher on any team in the big leagues, like on a contender or whatever, but he's not necessarily a one or two. So if they, if they contend again, you slide him. If they end up contending again, you're going to slide him back into the middle. I just don't think he's that guy. So, yeah, look, he gives up a lot of home runs. He gave, gave up one. Then he started walking, guys. And – yeah, it's not the season you want, but it is a weird kind of year. And you, you reassess this thing as you go in the offseason. Just remind yourself, he's not a true one. And he may not even be a two on a really, really good World Series team. He's certainly a great three and maybe a two. On this team, he's a one, though. So that's the way I look at him. Kopech is a little bit more of a concern. That fastball is getting hit. It's, it, it feels like a straight fastball to me at times. And that's getting hit. I think he's going to have to start pitching a little bit more instead of just throwing. This is a couple outings over the last three or four that he's had that he's really blown up a little bit. Um, so to me, that's the way he has. I, I think he has to come in thinking like a starter almost. Like be a pitcher. Don't just be a thrower. Um, it's a role he's still getting used to. Let's hope he gets used to it before you know October 4th or whenever they start up because um, he's gotten hit around these last couple outings. So I think that is a little bit of a concern. Hey, Jesse, is there uh, – am I crazy or is – would putting him in a bullpen start, like a spot start, low innings type thing, to get him into that mentality, would that help or is that a no-go for him this year, Kopech? You know, you could do it for a couple innings. You're not going to stretch him out more than that. I don't know if that helps or not. Maybe that's a good question for Tony. Could that lock him in? The problem is he's not going to be able to mimic that in the postseason unless you want to start with an opener somewhere, which I don't think they're going to do. They've got a solid rotation with everyone's healthy. Um, it, it, it couldn't hurt, I guess, Mark. I, I guess it couldn't hurt, but I don't think that's the answer. I think the mm. answer is he just – I mean, look, he's been in this bullpen role all season. I think the answer is he just has to lock himself in right off the bat and be a pitcher and not a thrower. Jeff Passon was on with Sylvie and Fred uh, filling in for Waddle on Friday, and he said – Dallas Keuchel is going to be on the playoff roster. Um, do you agree, or do you think that they can't afford that right now? No, I, I absolutely agree. Um, remember, it's 26 spots. It's a five-game series with days off. You can find a spot for whoever you want. I mean, 13 position players and 13 pitchers is plenty. You could go even 14 and 12 either way if you want. It, it, I think he'll have a spot. And his role will be the second long man, I think. I think Ronaldo Lopez is probably the first long man. Mm. Someone tweets something in the second inning, uh, like Giolito did the other night, and you go to Lopez, you go to extra innings, and you're down to Keiko and a few others, you go to Keiko. I think that's 
about his only role. Or if you need a long man back-to-back days, God forbid, I think Keiko has one of those spots. But I think Lopez is probably ahead of them, uh, ahead of him. And Lopez doesn't have the experience, but he's certainly pitching better right now. We know we saw that again. Um, you know, Keiko didn't have a great start the other night. So, yes, I think he has a role, but it's a very, very limited role, and it's almost like break glass for emergency for mm-hmm. Keiko to get into a playoff game. Yeah, I, so we'll go down to a four-man rotation, uh, assumingly, for the playoffs then. Oh, without a doubt, yeah. yeah. And who knows what the first round could be. It could be three-man because um, you can bring guys back on short rest. If you get to that game five, it's, it's long rest for the game one starter. It's regular rest for the game two starter. But I would assume if they play four games, it'll be four different starters in round one, and then Lance Lynn would probably get you know two starts in the first round is my guess, as long as everyone's healthy. When are you getting your results on the rapid test? How rapid is the test? Yeah, no, it's a couple hours, so before yeah. game time. Um, I'm assuming it's okay. Like I said, everybody, we were outside in the dugout, which is a little more enclosed than just being out near the batting cage, right? Interviewing Ross, I was probably around him for five to ten minutes at most. And um, I don't know if it was six feet or ten feet, but, you know, it wasn't right up in his face. So I, I think I'm, I think I'm going to be okay. And I'm so you didn't hug him so goodbye good. or anything like you usually do. <laughs> oh, right, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you're something else. All right, Xander. On that note, Jesse, we'll uh, let you get back. Hopefully you're out of the ballpark enjoying the game today because that means the test came back in, in the uh, way we want it to. So exactly thanks for joining right. us. Take hey, care, guys, Jesse. Take care. Talk to you soon. Okay. Close contact, Jesse Rogers. He's there for you. Uh, 312-332-3776 is the number you want to jump in on. Our... Now that's a full-service reporter, right? You know, That's right. He covers both cover sides of town. Yeah. yeah. And uh, also, if you want to weigh in the Matt Nagy question uh, that we have on our Twitter poll at ESPN 1000, ESPN Chicago, um, you know, how much confidence you have in Matt Nagy being the play caller. He benched himself, but then he brought himself back into the role of uh, play caller. And uh, he's going to do it starting uh, next Sunday for real. 312-332-3776. Don't forget Ben Pope joining us top of the hour talking Blackhawks. Still have a lot more college football. Hey, 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 I-L-L-H-E-L-P. And uh, Northern Illinois with a big upset down in Georgia Tech. Lots more to go here on the uh, Xander and Hanley Show, ESPN 1000. ESPN 1000, Chicago's home for sports. Follow Chicago's home for sports on Twitter at ESPN 1000. So, Mark Xander, if I asked you your Super Bowl teams as we sit here a week away from the Bears opener against the Rams. If you had to hazard a guess, do you have two in mind? One uh, one from either conference, obviously? Uh, you, you know, no, not at, not at this point. I mean, I, I, you know, the whole prediction game is just really hard to get to this early. Do you? Yep. No, you I, no, no. The NFL, oh, okay. the NFL.com had their 16 experts weigh in on it. Because we love lists and we love polls, and <laughs> right. and obviously you know, you're exactly right. Tell me who's going to be healthy in uh, for the entirety of the season. You know, it's if Patrick impossible. Mahomes, yeah, if Patrick Mahomes is healthy, there's a reason that ten of their sixteen experts picked the Kansas City Chiefs to be facing someone from the NFC. And interesting for all the uh, hand wringing soap opera going on in Green Bay, Aaron Rodgers is back, obviously. Four of their experts have the Packers playing in the Super Bowl. And uh, 
the 49ers who who have come up with the idea that we floated yesterday Fred and I were doing the show and I had a Twitter poll that uh, hey if Trey Lance and Jimmy Garoppolo can be Q uh, co QB ones and they did it last week in the in the regular uh, the preseason finale where they were coming in like every other play it wasn't even one guy gets a series or a quarter it was within the series they were shuttling the guys in and out and it sounds like that Kyle Shanahan and uh, John Lynch are, are are fine with keeping defenses on their heels and making them game plan for both. Um, they're going to do it, it looks like. They're going to do it uh, starting next week. And of the 16 experts on NFL.com, I think I've counted, what, five have the 49ers facing an AFC team in the, uh, in the Super Bowl. So, you know, Trey Lance – from what North, North Dakota State was was that where he's from South Dakota one of the Dakotas, yeah. Um, not not certainly Ohio State, uh, but they're finding a way to get him involved uh, immediately, and it worked pretty well. And they think it's going to work just fine moving forward. So, is that going back to the Matt Nagy confidence in play calling? Do you have confidence that Matt Nagy could come up with a way to get Justin Fields out on the field? for some snaps, some series, starting next week against the Rams. Brian, is that where he really excels in in doing, you know, very non-conventional offensive-type plays? Maybe. You know, he, he has a lot of confidence in himself. Certainly year one, uh, because of our defense, things look good, and we couldn't sustain that. You know, maybe that's where his brilliance is. I'm not sure. It seems to me that it's biting off a little more than you could chew. Yeah, you know, as far as uh, as far as us trying to, yeah, I would just like to see Andy Dalton succeed before we even consider something like that to come right out of the gate and do that. I think that's pretty. um, Well, that's as a Bears fan. As a Bears fan, you have to hope for that, right? You have you have to hope he's not Mike Glennon two point oh that he only lasts four games, and and you're telling you know Glennon was making eighteen million, telling him to take a seat. Andy Dalton on a one year ten million dollar contract. You can't. You hope that he is the the wily veteran who's not going to make mistakes. Maybe not light up the scoreboard, but know where to put the ball, know when to get rid of the ball, know what he's looking at with defenses when he gets up to to you know take the snap. You hope for all that. Um, yeah. But you know Matt Nagy was and Ryan Pace were both asked very variations of the question basically this past week of when you know when's Justin Fields going to be ready and when will you know? And it comes back to. Oh, we we're excited about Justin Fields, but you know, it's all about Andy Dalton and we have faith in Andy Dalton. Right. It, did they say uh I didn't catch the whole thing. We'll know when we know. I love that answer. Yeah, they, we'll know when it, we know. Well, guess what? Everyone in that locker room knows when they know. And I think that most of them know right now who the better quarterback is in terms of potential and, and tools and everything else. Uh again, I I want Bears fans, 312-332-3776. Are they the silent majority out there saying that this is the right blueprint and plan, that Matt Nagy's on the right track here? Because initially the idea was that Justin Fields was not supposed to see the season, the field all season, right? I mean, it wasn't a matter of, well, how's his progress and how's Andy Dalton doing? Well, did that ever really come to pass where that was mentioned the whole season? I, I don't recall that that was. Well, they said, it was the, they said it was the Patrick Mahomes plan, right? And what did he do? He sat well, for the entire yeah, season. Yeah. Yeah. You know why? Because the quarterback in front of him, Alex Smith, had a career was year. Doing, yes. And there was no reason to even have a discussion about pulling that Alex Smith. That makes it much easier, doesn't it? 
Yeah. So if you can tell me Andy Dalton's going to have a career year, is it his career or anyone's career? Um, you know, maybe you have a different discussion. But it is interesting that to even think within the division, the Packers are still getting some significant consideration to be a Super Bowl team because of the, the presence of Aaron Rodgers for is this his last season up in Green Bay? And if it is, does he have that much more urgency to to put the team on his back and, and lead him to the promised land? Well, can he do it, though? It doesn't seem like he had a lot of support. And and I find it interesting. I knew that he would play up there, but I I truly do think it's his last year. With Green Bay or last yeah. year? No, yeah. no, 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 with Green Bay. Because now the Jeopardy job is reopened, right? <laughs> well, reopen and it closed. I mean, they probably have rotating guests. Not that I pay attention that much. But, yeah, <laughs> there's some trouble over there as well. Hey, Nothing hey, is without drama, Brian. Before we get back to our sports conversation, we have uh, your your rock ball from uh, which is a staple here on Sunday mornings. I'm a, yeah. I'm I'm Metallica stupid. I am not. You're going to have to educate me moving forward here. Okay, all right. Not Fair not enough. my cup of tea. Never okay. has been. Um, so okay. I, I have to I have to vote present on your Twitter poll because I couldn't give you an educated. Uh, all right. Very uh, well. Answer. well Thirty years ago, uh, in in the summertime, in the month of August, and so we're we're a little tardy on this. But in 1991, the music was uh, in rock was pretty big. Nirvana, "Smells Like Teen Spirit" came out. That was kind of game changer. But right before that, it was Metallica's Black album, which is celebrating 30 years now, and they're doing a big release of the album, re-release of the album, extra bonus tracks, like any artist does, and then they. They actually are doing something else in that they're having other artists cover every song on that album. It's hmm. called The Blacklist. So they're getting, uh, like one of them, I think it's uh, Wherever I May Roam, one of the songs out of the poll is being covered by a combination of Elton John and Miley Cyrus and Yo-Yo Ma. I'm not even kidding. Holy cow. Yeah. So it's, it's going to be wild. It's going to be wild sounding, but... Uh, the uh, Xander Rock poll this week is about the album. And Enter Sandman is certainly a song that you know, Brian, uh, even though you may not know it by title. That was the big hit. So I'm excluding that from the poll. But otherwise, we're asking you what your favorite song was, aside from Enter Sandman, from the Black Album, celebrating 30 years around this time in 1991. The songs are Nothing Else Matters, Wherever I May Roam, Sad But True, or the Unforgiven. That is the uh, Xander Rock poll for this Sunday, Labor Day holiday weekend. And we thought that we'd throw that out there because of the fact that they're celebrating 30 years. They're not touring right now, but they will be putting out this big package celebrating the 30th anniversary of this album, which really kind of put Metallica on the map. They're a metal band. They were kind of underground, and it was uh, one of those things that when this came out, all their real friends from the early days thought that they were abandoning the, uh, abandoning them and selling out, so to speak. It was uh, it, an interesting time in the history of heavy metal. But certainly you know, I, they were I, all over the map. Yeah. I love when other artists cover um, significant songs and, and leg- legendary albums and songs. I love that. And I love when you go to a live show, live concert, when whatever artist or group you're seeing, they sample somebody else's song in, in the middle like of one when of their it's songs. an obvious choice or when it's really out of left field? What do you prefer or do you I, not I, have I, a preference? No, I just love that, you know, you get an interpretation or, yep. you know, just, okay. it just you, you don't expect it. And all of a sudden in the middle of a song, they're, they're giving you a few lyrics or licks from a different song that you know and love. I mean, I love that stuff. So 
I mean, that is a wild collaboration, though. Yo-Yo Ma, uh, Miley Cyrus, <laughs> yeah. and and The weirder Elton the John. better, right? As yeah. far as I'm concerned with cover versions, first of all, I love it in concert. It's always a great way to engage the audience, especially yep. when you're playing your new music. Because let's face it, when bands go out on tour, they want to play the hits, but not as much as you want to hear them. They want to play their new stuff. So they have to kind of balance and That's usually a beer or bathroom break for a lot of people. Yeah, right, right, unless you're really into it already. The problem I have with cover tunes, Brian, and this has been uh, something that Fred and I have talked about in the last 10 years in the rock genre, having spent my career uh, up until the point coming to ESPN playing music on the radio, it seems like nobody or there's not enough original writing anymore. The default is to cover something else Mm -hmm. and record it and sell it. It's great for the songwriters, but I think that's just such a big cop-out. And so... In, in a situation like this, when you're paying tribute and you have a wild combination like like uh, Elton John and Miley Cyrus and Yo-Yo Ma, that's fine because it's a bit of a novelty and it's paying tribute. But, you know, there are just way too many bands that just go, oh, this is a great song. I'm going to cover it. It's like, no, the reason why Gene Simmons is walking around saying rock is dead is because people are not writing their own original stuff as much as they used to. I saw so that's him without, me on my soapbox. I saw him without makeup on for the first time the other day. You, oh. you haven't seen. Oh, he's been without makeup for the years. The uh, oh, oh. well, you know, the man's seventy-two now. So well, he looked yeah. every bit of it. Yes, three one two three three two three seven seven six is the telephone number if you want to weigh in on cover versions or not. Our, our Bears conversation. But talks of Blackhawks with Ben Pope from the Sun Times. Top of the hour. I want to get into a little college football because it was kickoff weekend uh, this weekend. And Notre Dame, number nine Notre Dame, also uh, going down to Florida State tonight. So we'll uh, talk a little college football. I want to pick Mark Zander's brain on on some of the upsets. Again, tip of the cap to Northern Illinois Huskies for going down and knocking off Georgia Tech. And uh, any concerns in Champaign after pretty convincing win over Nebraska and coming back and laying an egg against Texas San Antonio, a football program that's all 10 years old. 312-332-3776 at Xander Hanley, ESPN 1000. Follow Chicago's Home for Sports on Facebook at ESPN Chicago. This is ESPN 1000. So, Mark Zander, college football, uh, does that get you excited on an opening weekend? Or, or weekend zero, as I referred to it last, last week when the Illini Came out and Brett Bielma looked like he had the, the Illini together against Nebraska. And I think a lot of people said, well, Nebraska wasn't very good last year. And Scott Frost is going to get fired at some point this year as soon as the NCAA unloads on him for uh, apparent infractions. But week one to week two, you thought the Illini, uh, college football coaches always like to say the, the biggest improvement made usually is from game one to game two. And um, here come the Illini hosting the Texas San Antonio team that uh, never had a win against a Big Ten team because they're only 10 years old. They come down to Champaign, or they play fly to Champaign, and walk out with a win that a lot of people didn't see coming. <laughs> That's um, the wrong direction, Brian. Yeah, that wouldn't from be the improvement you're looking for from week yeah. one to week two. Um, yeah. Interesting, because I was talking to Tyler Aki yesterday uh, before our show, and that line, I think the, the line I opened up, six-and-a-half-point favorites, which really wasn't big enough for my taste to begin with. It smelled a little bit funny. And I think it was down about four by kickoff. So 
look, Brett Bielma, you know, said that they're they're a work in, in progress, and they are. But I think you got to take care of business against a team like that that basically is coming to cash a check, right? That's one of those teams, you know, the the, the power conferences, Illinois being a, a program that's been down forever anyway. But a Big Ten team usually imports a team like that to, to come in and give them a little confidence and get a pretty, you know, dominating win. And you give the uh, te- Texas San Antonio team a, a nice check with a lot of zeros on it to go help build their athletic department. But it didn't turn yeah, out that way. Yeah, no, it didn't. Uh, final there, 37-30. And, uh, yeah, the, you know, against Nebraska, obviously, that, that, was, that was a nice way to open the season. But it just goes to show you, <laughs> from game one to game two, there's, uh, there's some, uh, you know, things you have to you have to fix from two to three now and yeah i think that caught people by surprise certainly did me and rocky lombardi who was a uh, michigan state transfer now quarterbacking the huskies out in northern illinois i mean what a great name rocky lombardi you gotta play football right my gosh there's no way you could do anything else right (laughs) who does does... rocky lombardi what really yeah no i I don't want rocky doing my taxes yeah rocky Uh, might get me an audit um, right. <laughs> I, I want. I want him. I want him directing. Sounds a little a, too a, aggressive. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I want a Rocky Lombardi leading my team down the field at Georgia Tech, and starting that winning drive with a 38-yard completion. But I love the fact that the coach uh, Thomas Hammock. Don't sleep on Hammock. Um, went for the two-point conversion to get the win because they were an 18-and-a-half-point dog down at uh, Georgia Tech. And it's like easy decision. We came here to win. We expect to win. That's what we got done. I mean, you got to love that, right? You got to love that's football coach speak right there. Yeah, yeah, you do. And I saw what you did there with the sleeping on the hammock. Yeah. He, uh, yeah, oh, that's, 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 yeah, that's, yeah that's, you get, you get uh, points for a, a dad joke there. Oh, that's a um, fine, I think, is what it is. Yeah. Well, yeah, I'm not going to levy the fine. I think your management will end up talking to you about that. <laughs> but uh, yeah, yeah, you know what? Uh, I always love seeing the Huskies do well. I think that people sleep on them. As you said, don't do that. Yeah. Uh, you know, it, it's always fun to watch what they're doing up there in DeKalb. And uh, that's a nice win. And I think, uh, you know, Northwestern obviously didn't have the result they were looking for on Friday night. And Michigan State, you know, that, that's a team that seemingly has NU's number. And when uh, Kenneth Walker III, I mean, he springs 70, what, 73, 75-yard run, 13 seconds into the game. ESPN hadn't even joined the game yet. Right, or you know, they got there and they were already down seven nothing. Um, that's the one thing about the Wildcats that I would like to see fixed. They always seem to dig themselves a little bit, or even a, a little bit bigger hole than need be at the beginning of seasons, and then they rally for you know. Always, it seems like every season they come flying out in the second half and make it interesting and get into a pretty that? decent. How do you bulk? make sense yeah. of that from year to year? I don't. I don't. I mean, you know, is Pat Fitzgerald seems like a coach I covered him. Boy, when I was covering Northwestern back in the day, Randy Walker was the head coach. Unfortunately, we lost Randy way too early. Uh, and and Fitz was not only assistant coach, a, a linebackers coach, I believe, but he's also the recruiting coordinator. And you know, his enthusiasm is infectious. I mean, I can imagine when he goes into a living room and sells that program and what they, you know, the the whole package of the education you're going to get in Northwestern and everything else. You know, why wouldn't you want to sign on with a guy like that whose heart and soul is into it? And, you know, and um, but boy, that had to be disappointing for him because Michigan State under Mel Tucker 
not very good last year. And for them to come out and, and throw that surprise party is uh, a little disheartening. You know, they can regroup, obviously, and likely they will, but they're not ranked and they have a, you know, a new quarterback who's their old quarterback. So they have some things they got to get fixed, but, uh, you know, the defense is as much as anything, probably a little bit more of a disappointment disappointment than the offense. Yeah. Who, who are they facing next week? That is a good question. I will find that out for you. I'm looking Maybe for it's... a long, long list. There's so many here. Um, yeah, there's obviously there's improvement to make it. Uh, they're uh, going to face Indiana State next Saturday. See, there you go. There's the check game. There's uh, Indiana State's coming to get a check with a bunch of zeros on it. Right, right. Well, uh, this is their time to get some confidence back and jump on it. You're right. Fitzgerald's got a lot of energy. So it's really weird that they kind of struggle out of the gate. But hopefully they'll get to it sooner than later this time. Yeah, no doubt about it. 312-332-3776 is our telephone number. We've covered a lot of ground at this point. We're going to talk some Blackhawks. Top of the hour with Ben Pope, who does a terrific job of covering the Hawks for the Chicago Sun-Times. Interesting article from Ben uh, on Friday that there was a little bit of a shakeup in the front office of the Chicago Blackhawks that really went unnoticed or unreported until Ben wrote that story on Friday. Jay Blunkout, who was the right-hand man of John McDonough, yep. uh, for all those championship years, they both came from Wrigley Field and the Cubs and uh, did great things for the Blackhawks. But we'll talk to Ben about uh, some of the moves made uh, off the ice and, and as importantly or most importantly, the moves in the offseason uh, on the ice with uh, with the uh, Vezina winning goaltender coming into play and hopefully Jonathan Taves back, but there's a lot to cover there. So uh, we'll talk some hockey as well. we got lots of time between now and 1230 when we get out of here to uh, talk Bears and talk White Sox and talk Cubs. We'll do it all here on ESPN 1000. Northwestern football, Chicago's Big Ten team, Chicago uh, college football, I should say, returns to Wrigley Field this fall for the first time since 2010. Join Northwestern football when they host Purdue in the Wildcats Classic on November 20th. Tickets on sale now at nusports.com. Follow Chicago's home for sports on Instagram at ESPN underscore Chicago. This is ESPN 1000. Welcome back. Mark Zander, Brian Hanley with you until 1230. Taking your calls, 312-332-3776. You can follow us on the ESPN Chicago app. It's the easiest app around to uh, man- to maneuver and to... It is. All of us meatheads can do it here at the radio Absolutely. station. And you catch all the podcasts and all the great shows uh, throughout the week at your leisure and on your schedule. So check it out. And, um, you know, it's interesting thinking about the Blackhawks here, uh, Mark, this whole off season has been nothing but a bunch of surprises, both good and bad, right? I mean, you had the very sordid and sick story about uh, alleged uh, sexual assault uh, dating back to 2010 with the then video coach, Bradley Aldrich, uh, uh, allegedly assaulting a player. And the organization, according to lawsuits filed, did uh, nothing to to step in and correct that. And Aldrich not only was let go from the team, but, some one lawsuit claims that they gave him a positive job review or recommendation as he went to Michigan to become a volunteer high school coach for our hockey team, where he allegedly was arrested, actually, and sent, uh, was uh, convicted of assaulting a, uh, 
a player on that team. And what so, a mess, yeah. yeah, what a mess. So we'll talk to Ben Pope about that. But this, the, the actual hockey product itself, when you look at what's going on with Stan Bowman and, you know, everyone believed that they were basically in year one of a rebuild last year and it had its surprising months and it has its exciting times. And they were competitive uh, for duration of the season. A lot of us didn't see coming. And, did that change the direction of the front office or the um, speed with which the front office wanted to accelerate their their rebuild to the point where you go get Marc-Andre Fleury and you uh, go out and make a trade and get a defenseman and give them a ton of money and mm-hmm. where you get hopefully getting Jonathan Taves back and you sign Connor Murphy to a team-friendly deal and off you go because – you think that you can contend in the division and the conference. It, it seems like the they took a turn there towards the positive and to, yeah. to more of a sense of urgency. It, it was a bit of a surprise to get Flurry. Uh, and you're right. That was an indication right there, Brian, of, oh, no, we think that we're close. But yeah. and, do the and, fans and, think we're close? I'm not sure. And, yeah. and it'll, you know, I can't. I'm really looking forward to the season because they've made enough changes and, and we'll see what else happens because there's always the behind the scenes stuff. We'll talk to Ben about this, what happened the other day, what his thoughts are as far as what that really has to deal with and what we can look forward to in the future of both behind the scenes and how that's going to affect the on ice product. But yeah, yeah, I think all of a sudden they think, Ooh, we're there. It's like, wow, I would love to think that I'm not sure that I have that confidence right now. Yeah, and I think there there's a lot to be excited about, but did they, you know, take big enough steps to put them firmly in a playoff picture? And uh, Ben had a terrific story about uh, Jeremy Colleton the other day. Again, I think a lot of Hawks fans are still not sure what the Blackhawks have here uh, behind the bench in Jeremy Colleton. Mm-hmm. Um, he seems like a competent coach and all that, but um, I think given the – unevenness of uh, the last few seasons and expectations. You're not sure if Jeremy's going to be the guy to get you to a Stanley cup. And that's ultimately, as Jeremy said, said all the right things to Ben the other day in, in their sit down at the, at the United center um, that, you know, that obviously they, they want to win a Stanley cup, which is refreshing because all those years I covered the Blackhawks, I used to get on Bob Pulford all the time that I never actually heard him articulate the idea of winning a Stanley Cup. I mean, Bob Pulford had 27 consecutive playoff seasons when he was running the team, and that was a badge of honor, and apparently that was just good enough for then-owner Bill Wirtz to get some playoff money in the bank and uh, be good enough to be relevant but not good enough to have to pay people because you won a championship. And I told Pulley one time, I'm like, well, you know, I've never heard you say it. He goes, what do you mean? And I said, I've never heard you say <laughs> The goal here is to win a Stanley Cup. That's what I mean. It couldn't be more, you know, more simple to do. And then he said, hey, okay, we want to win the Stanley Cup. <laughs> oh, my then, gosh. You know, you should have got paid double for uh, those rough years of covering the Hawks because being on the fan side, those were some tough years, and it was just so obvious that we, we, that we wasn't said, necessarily the goal. No, we sat up there in the press box and counted the attendance each night because you could. It was about 3,000. Oh, sure. We right. each take a section or, or you know, a quarter of the building and count and come up with our own number. It was pretty close to the actual uh, number. Well, it was that the was old bleak. boys club. 
it was the old boys club back then where pulley had nothing to worry about no matter what happened on the ice and it was just it was transparent it was shocking to the fans too that the ones that were paying attention quick story uh so when the nhl went to a salary cap right and that was Mm -hmm. something that bill wirtz was uh advocating and campaigning for forever because he didn't want to watch the Rangers or, you know, any of the Montreals or of the world spending and spending and spending with no limit, right? He wanted right. a level playing field because he had no inclination to spend as much as those Not teams. Not that he were. didn't have the money, he just didn't no, want to. didn't have the inclination. Right. Um, and so they go to vote for the um, salary cap, and you think it's a slam dunk, right? Because, you know, that the, the Bill Wirtz was going to vote for it. He was the only vote against it because there was actually a floor, too. There was a minimum that you had to spend. And that's where he got off the uh, railroad tracks and said, no one tells me how much I have to spend. I want you to tell the other teams they can't spend more than that, but you're not telling me I have to spend a minimum. So I believe that the Blackhawks were the only team to vote against the salary cap in 1995 because he didn't get everything he wanted. Yeah, I remember that. Boy, what the, what a what a time, what an era for the Blackhawks. Uh, and and not in a good way. But, you know, us fans stood by that team no matter what, and it was just very refreshing when Rocky came around, and now, of course, Rocky has handed it to uh, Danny Wirtz. Yeah. I look forward to talking to Ben about what he feels. You know, this is kind of a new age, that a new uh, new shift for, um, you know, management for the Hawks, and you've got a very storied team looking at new ways to attract younger fans. And it's yeah. a, a fascinating proposition. So Blackhawk fans, uh, stay tuned because we're going to cover a lot of ground with Ben Pope from the Chicago Sun-Times. We'll check your excitement level after our conversation and uh, find out exactly what's going on over at the United Center and how quickly uh, we could expect to have another Stanley Cup parade, a championship parade, or is that uh, too far out in the future to even dream of at this point? But you have to like a lot of the things that are going on with the Chicago Blackhawks, and we'll do that on ESPN 1000 in just a few. 